Now, when I started blogging, I didn't do this. I vaguely, I guess, knew what SEO was, but I just ignored it. Big mistake. If you ask me what my number one regret is business-wise, that would be it. I wish that I had focused on SEO literally from day one. Hi, I'm Becca Klein, blogger, business owner, and CEO. But you don't have to look too far back to see a time when I was seriously struggling to create content, keep up on social media, grow my email list, and do all of the other thousand and one things we bloggers have to do. Sure, I still make mistakes, but I've managed to move past them and grow the thriving business I have today. A business that helps people and gives me the freedom to step away from my desk. I created the Blog to Biz Show to help bloggers like you run blogs they love and blogs that make them a second income. I want to give you concrete, actionable steps that you can take today to grow your little blog into something mighty. So if you're a blogger, or even if you want to be a blogger, you are in the right place, my friend. So join me now for the Blog to Biz Show. Hey there, friends. I'm Becca Klein of BeccaKlein.co, and I'm here to talk business, more specifically, the blog business. So welcome to the inaugural episode of the Blog to Biz Show. This is number one, and lots more to come. I've got a really good episode for you today. We're going to talk about the top four things that you can focus on right now to get the biggest ROI, the biggest impact for your blog. I'm a blogger too, so I know what it feels like when there are a thousand things to do for your blog. Write new blog posts, update old blog posts, post Instagram reels, post Instagram stories, email your list, now email them again, start a YouTube channel, post on Instagram again, and then there's TikTok. The list goes on and on and on. That's why I want to give you four concrete things that you can do that are going to make a real difference for your blog. Now, I'm not saying that these are the only four things you need to do. I wish I could say that, but unfortunately, that's not the case. But if you have to pick where to spend your energy, these are the four that should that should get the most of your time. All right, let's get into it. Number one, engaging on Instagram. Now, before you roll your eyes, hear me out on this one. Believe me, I know that Instagram is a fickle game and it can be incredibly frustrating to look at your followers numbers and be like, yeah, I gained 50 followers, but oh no, you also lost 73 followers and you have to post reels and you have to post stories and you have to do this and this and this and this. Believe me, I get it. For a long time, I more or less ignored it because it stressed me out too much. I just posted every once in a while whenever I felt like it, didn't really do reels, didn't really do stories, didn't DM, nothing really. But in the last six months or so, I've changed my tune on Instagram. So my experiment with Instagram was simple. I was going to genuinely engage on Instagram. That's it. And it worked. No fancy tools, doesn't cost any money. I just wanted to engage. And when I say engage, all I mean is finding my target audience, following them, liking their posts, and commenting on their posts. That's it. Now, some of that engagement will be totally ignored. Not every single person that you, that you engage with is going to comment back or DM you or whatever. But a lot of the time, more than you'd probably think, that person that you engaged with will respond to the comment you left. They'll check out your profile. They'll click the link in your profile, etc., etc. Now, when I started doing this, my follower count was roughly 31, 3,200. Right now, as I'm recording this right now, I have 4,462 followers. So I've gained a lot of followers through this engagement method. That's what I'm doing. I'm not buying followers or anything like that. I'm just posting consistently, which we're going to talk about in a little bit, and I'm engaging. I can also give you some other numbers. 
in the last four months, give or take, I've had five different people tell me that they found me and my signature course, Breaking the Blogging, through Instagram. Now, Breaking the Blogging costs $497, and I'm always looking for students, of course. And these people, these five people that told me they found me in my course on Instagram, they all bought the course. So that's about $2,500 in my pocket, thanks to a few minutes spent engaging on Instagram. I know for sure I would not have had those five sales without my engagement. And aside from the money, I'm also building a community. I connect with people on Instagram so much more often and so much more genuinely than I do on any other platform. Other people may tell you differently. Some people like Twitter or Facebook or TikTok. Nothing against any of those platforms. But in my experience, the most genuine engagement and the most genuine community growing happens on Instagram. I have real conversations with people in the comments, in my DMs. And yes, oftentimes that leads to a sale of breaking the blocking or one of my other products. So I'm not even just doing it to be nice. It's leading to real money. This doesn't take hours and hours of your time. You don't need to sit on Instagram for the entire day. Just take 15, 20 minutes a day, sit down and engage. Find your target audience. You could do this through a hashtag that you know they're using or they could be following an influencer in your niche, however you want to do it. And go through your feed, like their, like their photos, comment on the photos, and a real comment, not just like a heart emoji, but an actual comment that shows that you actually read the post and looked at the photo. If you like them enough, follow them. You might even DM them. Do this for 15, 20 minutes. You will be surprised about the ROI that you get back. It's really, really worth it, and it doesn't cost any money. Number two, search engine optimization or SEO. This is a big one. SEO basically means how much Google likes your blog. If you have good SEO, you rank higher. If you have bad SEO, you rank lower. Google traffic is probably going to be your number one source of traffic. For most people, it is. And the more Google traffic you can get, the more sales you're going to make, the more page views you're going to get. If you're using ads, the more money you're going to get from that. Basically, all things come from traffic. Now, search engine optimization is a big topic. There are entire courses on it. I'll link to some in the show notes at beccacline.co slash 001. There are people who spend their entire careers as SEO consultants for companies, businesses. So I'm not going to sit here for like nine hours and tell you everything in the world about SEO. And I certainly don't claim to be an SEO expert, but I do want to give you a few tips on how you can optimize your blog posts for SEO. Now, when I started blogging, I didn't do this. I vaguely, I guess, knew what SEO was, but I just ignored it. Big mistake. If you ask me what my number one regret is business-wise, that would be it. I wish that I had focused on SEO literally from day one. I think I would be so much farther along if I had. Now, the first thing about SEO you need to know is it relies on keywords. So these are words that people are typing into Google when they're looking for a solution to a problem or whatever it is they're looking for. So it's really important to do your keyword research. You can't just guess at like, oh, this is probably the keyword for this topic, which is what I used to do. It doesn't work. You need to actually do the research. There are a ton of different keyword research tools, some of which are like $200 a month, some of which are $10 a month, some of which are free. There's a ton of them out there. I'll link to some of them in the show notes, beccacline.co slash 001. But make sure that you do invest, well, not even invest, you can do it for free, but you use a keyword research tool. Now you're looking for keywords that are a combination of two things, low competition and high volume. For example, I blog about blogging. So an obvious keyword for me would be how to start a blog. And that is a great keyword. Obviously, tons of people Google that. But 
If you Google that right now, I, I can guarantee you, you will see that all of the top pages are really big sites. They're not little bloggers like me. They're sites with like domain authorities really high. They're really well-established sites with like thousands of articles on them. So I could write the world's greatest article about how to start a blog and SEO optimize it absolutely perfectly. I'm still not going to get to page one because it's just too big a keyword. So instead, I want lower competition keywords that still get a fair amount of search volume, but are lower competition. So I have an actual chance to rank. So that's what you're looking for. So once you have your keywords, and I recommend having five or so, there are places where you want to use them in your blog post. First is in the title. That's probably obvious. Second is in the URL. And third is in within the introductory paragraph or paragraphs of your blog post, the first hundred words or so. Then throughout the article, you should use your top one and two keywords about once every three or 400 words. It's not an exact science, but somewhere around there. And then other keywords that you have after the first two, use them two or three times in the article, wherever. Doing this is going to ensure that you are gonna show up for these keywords on Google. Now, another big topic in SEO is site speed and images. Site speed, which is how fast your site loads, is very important for SEO. It's a really techy topic. I'm not going to try and dig into it. But the one aspect of it I do want to talk about is images. Big images will slow down your site for sure. Now, that's not to say that you shouldn't have images because you definitely should. But you need to do a few things to, to compress them before putting them on your blog. So first things first, when you're choosing the file format for your image, it should be a JPEG rather than a PNG just because PNGs are a larger file size. If you have a PNG, you can um, just Google JPEG to PNG converter. You'll find free sites where you can upload it and get converted. It takes, you know, five seconds. The only exception to that is if your image has a transparent background. For that, you do need a PNG because JPEGs just don't have that, that capability. But in any other circumstance, use a JPEG. So once you've got your JPEG, you're going to manually compress it. There are tons of different sites online, most of which are free, where you can compress your images. When I say compress, I don't mean that you're making it smaller or like it's going to be super blurry or anything like that. It's just making the file size smaller. So I use compressjpeg.com or compresspng.com. You upload your file, hit a button, and in like five seconds, it downloads a smaller file. Very easy to do. The third thing that you're going to do is you're going to install a plugin called ShortPixel. ShortPixel is a WordPress plugin that lives on your site. And every time you upload an image, it's going to compress it even further for you. You don't have to do anything. It just does it automatically. And say you already have a thousand images on your site the day that you install ShortPixel, it'll go back through retroactively and compress all of those thousand images. So every single page or every single picture on your site is going to be compressed. ShortPixel isn't free, but it's not a lot of money at all. I believe I got a plan for 10,000 credits for $10, which has lasted me, it's still lasting me a long time. So it's not a big investment at all. And I highly recommend it. While we're talking about plugins, I also recommend that you use an SEO plugin. Now, most people use Yoast. However, I'm going to recommend that you use Rank Math. Then these are plugins that basically give you a checklist, like put the keyword in the title, put the keyword in the URL, put the keyword in the alt text of the image, make, make your article longer. Things that are going to improve your SEO, they prompt you to do them. So they're really valuable to have because it's very easy to forget these little things as you're writing a post. Now, there's two reasons why I like Rank Math better than Yoast. The first is Yoast only lets you have one keyword if you're on the free plan, whereas Rank Math lets you have five. So 
that's an obvious advantage. The second is kind of a personal preference, but I think you'll probably agree with me. Yoast appears all the way at the bottom of your blog post. So if you want to see the Yoast checklist, you've got to scroll all the way down to the whole post and then all the way back up to wherever you, you're, you, you left off. Rank Math, on the other hand, sits on the right-hand side of the screen, so you can always see it very easily. And I know for me, it's much easier to insert those keywords if I can see them. And I'm always remembering, like, oh, yeah, such and such is a keyword. I should, I should put that in the sentence. I should phrase it this way. So I am a fan of Rank Math. They have both a free and a paid plan. You can check out the paid features, but if you want to stick with the free, that's fine. I'll link to it in the show notes. It's a really great plugin. Now, I also want to talk about image alt tags. This is another place where you want to put your keyword, but I'm going to give it a caveat. Alt tags are used by screen readers. Visually impaired persons who can't see the screen correctly use what are called screen readers, and they do what they sound like. They read the screen, but of course they can't read an image, so when they get to an image, they read the image alt text. So that for that reason, it's very important that the alt text accurately describe the photo. So it would be woman sitting at her laptop with a cup of coffee in her hand, you know, something like that. Just describe what the photo is. You should always do that for every image. If you can get a keyword in there, though, do it. It's not always going to be easy to get a keyword in there. You don't have to do it every time. The most important thing is to accurately describe the image. But if you can fit a keyword in there, it's a good thing to do. I also want to mention headings. Now, on WordPress, and I imagine most other blogging platforms, when you are typing your text, you have the choice of six headings, H1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6. Now, H1 is going to be the title of your blog post. You don't have to do anything. It's automatically formatted that way. And you shouldn't use H1 anywhere else in the blog post. So you can kind of cross that one off the list. However, you should use H2 and H3 to split your post up into sections and subsections. Google could tell when things are coded as a header, and it signals to Google, this is important. This is what the article is about. Pay attention to this. So you want to use your keywords in your headings where you can. Now, you also have H4, H5, and H6. I don't think it's really necessary to use them. It just makes things a little more complicated. I'll occasionally use H4. I don't think I've ever used H5 or 6. You can. It's not going to hurt anything. But I just think, you know, if you've got so many subsections that you're on onto H6, I think things are getting a little too complicated. Two more things I want to mention. The first are links. Your post needs to have both inbound and outbound links. When I say inbound, I mean a link to another blog post or page on your site. And outbound means a link to any other page in the world. Both of these are very important for SEO. Google likes to see your blog posts linking to one another. So for example, if instead of making this a podcast episode, I was writing this as a blog post and I was writing about what we just talked about using headings, I could very easily link to another blog post I have about how to properly format a blog post. That would be an obvious and easy link, and Google likes it when those are linked together. So you should add as many of those inbound links as you can. Now, it can be hard to remember because you can't sit there always and scroll through every 50 blog posts you have and think about where, where everyone goes. There's actually a great plugin that works really well for this. It's called Link Whisper. I will link to it in the show notes, beccaklein.co slash 001. And what it does is it scans your blog posts and it makes suggestions for where you can insert links to all of your other blog posts. Now, it's not 100% accurate. Some of the things that it, that it tells you just don't make sense, um, but a lot of them do, and it make, and you can just insert the link with one click. It makes it really easy, and it cuts down on you having to like scroll through all your blog posts and think, where can I put this? Where can I put that? So highly recommend that one. The last thing I want to talk about is the length of your article. 
people will tell you different things on this. I would say that at the very least, your post should be a thousand words, ideally 2000 words or more. Personally, I try to hit 3000 words or more. And a lot of times I'm at like six, 7000 words. Now, I will say one thing that kind of undermines my own point, but this isn't a 100% rule. The blog post that brings the most amount of Google traffic to my site currently is a 300 word blog post. And that goes against all of my advice. It is a blog post about the theme Divi. Um, I don't use that anymore, but at the time I did, and I was trying to upload a custom font and got this particular error message, went online and figured out how to get around this error message. So I was like, you know, this is a really popular theme, so I'll write a, a blog post about how to do this. But it's a short blog post. This is not a blog post that could have been 3,000 words because the answer is like, the answer is like, install this plugin, click this, click that, you're done. So the post is really short. It's not really SEO optimized, but because it's one of the only posts out there that answers this exact question, it ranks really high on Google and it gives me a ton of traffic. So there are exceptions to these rules. I'm not saying that you absolutely will just suffer and die if you have less than a thousand words, but generally speaking, you should aim for longer articles. All right, so that's it for SEO. Let's move on to point number three and that is growing your email list. Now, I'm sure you're not surprised to hear me say that because I and pretty much every other blog expert out there will sit, tell you how important your email list is. It's absolutely true. It is a huge source of income. It's the best way to connect with your readers. It's really, really important. Now you should always be thinking about growing your list. I talk to a lot of new bloggers and a lot of them say, you know, oh, I'm gonna wait till I've been blogging for six months or I'm gonna wait till I have this amount of traffic to start my list this and that. And I always say, no, start your list today. Even if you only have three people on your site for the entire day, those are three people who might sign up for your list. The biggest email list in the world, I have no idea who that is, but whoever it is, he or she started at zero one day. We all do. So start your email list now, even if you barely get any traffic, even if you only have a few blog posts, even if your site's a work in progress, just start. The worst thing that can happen is that no one signs up and you're not any worse off. Okay, now the best way to grow your email list and the main way that most people use is to give away a freebie. If you have an opt-in box on your blog or in your blog post that just says sign up for my newsletter or subscribe for updates or something like that, but doesn't offer anything, you're going to get very few signups. People get a million newsletters these days. They don't read most of them and they have no way of knowing that yours is good because they probably just landed on your site 30 seconds ago. Your newsletter might actually be fantastic, but they don't know that. So instead of just saying sign up for updates or sign up for my newsletter, you're going to offer them something of value. And I don't mean monetary value, but knowledge value. So for example, a checklist, a workbook, a resource guide, an ebook, a Canva template, a web design template, a webinar, a video series, an email course, something like that, that answers some problem or question that they have, people will sign up for that. So you need to think about who your audience is, what their problems are, and what solutions they're looking for when thinking about what freebie you can create. Now, there's no formula, and you're going to have some freebies that bomb. You're going to have some that do really well. You'll have some in, in between. I've certainly designed many that barely anyone signed up for. I've also designed some that, that thousands of people have signed up for. So you never know till you try. You're going to have to do some trial and error. But if this is a strategy that you should really start as soon as possible. Now, some people have just one or two freebies that they use everywhere. 
Other people create a different freebie for each individual blog post. And then a lot of people are in between. I'm in between. I have one that I, well, two really, that I promote most of the time. However, sometimes in a blog post, if it really lends itself to a particular freebie, I will create a freebie just for that blog post. For example, I have a blog post called How to Write a Captivating About Page for Your Blog. So I created an about page template and I'm offering that as a freebie in, inside that blog post because that's a very obvious connection. People reading this article would love a template. I don't offer that on my homepage or anywhere else on the blog because I don't think that that's something that like, everyone's looking for, but people reading that article are. So that does pretty well, even though I only have it in that one blog post. Otherwise, I usually promote one or two of my big freebies at a time, and I'm always testing. I'll try out a new one. I'll see how well it does. I might tweak it. You know, it's not a static situation. You can create these PDFs using tools like Canva, InDesign, Apple Pages, Google Docs, or Beacon. I'll link to all those in the show notes, beccaclein.co slash 001. It doesn't have to be like a great work of graphic design, but if you want it to be really pretty, for lack of a better word, check out creativemarket.com. They have tons and tons and tons of templates for Canva and InDesign and other platforms specifically for lead magnets or freebies like this. Um, so you can download those and create really gorgeous freebies without having any design experience or skill. And I say that as someone without any design experience or skill. So you can trust me there. Now, the, creating a freebie is probably going to be your main source of email list subscribers, but it doesn't have to be the only one. You can use unique methods too. For example, I have an evergreen automated webinar. It runs 24-7. You sign up for a time and then you can watch it. It's pre-recorded. Pre I've had that running for a, few, for a few months now, I think about four months, and I just looked before I started recording. It has brought in 1,037 people to my list in just about four months. And last time I launched Break Into Blogging, uh, which was a few months ago in April, before I launched it, I ran a five-day challenge. It's super popular. Everyone loves it. And in the few days that I promoted that challenge, I added 608 people to my list. So live events like that, live webinars, live challenges, live product launches, those can be a time to add a lot of people to your list. You can also use a resource library. This is another thing I do on my site. A resource library or freebie library, whatever you want to call it, is a page on your site where someone can download all of your freebies. So you might have 10 or 20 or 30, however many you have, they can download all of them right there without, without having to enter their email. Now, the way you get email addresses is you make this page password protected. And to get the password, they have to sign up for your email list. So what I do on my site is in my menu bar, you can click on blogging resource library and it takes you to a page that says, hey, if you already have the password, click this button and you'll go to the page. Or if you don't have the password, just fill out this form and we'll email you the password ASAP. And if they fill out the form, I, they get a welcome email that immediately says the password is this. So I get a fair amount of people signing up for that. People really like it because they don't have to keep entering their email over and over and confirming over and over. And it's just a really good place to store all of your freebies and have them accessible to your readers. It makes it seem like your site has a lot of value. So long story short, pretty much anything you can email out can be a freebie and you should offer freebies in exchange for your people's email addresses. I can almost guarantee you that you're gonna have better results that way than just with a box that says sign up for my newsletter. Pretty much guarantee it. Now you can promote these all over the place. I usually embed two to three forms within my blog posts, depending on how long they are. And also on certain pages on my site, like my homepage, my about page, I have embedded forms there too. 
You can also use pop-ups or uh, notification bars, any kind of thing like that. You can also create landing pages. A landing page is a page with no header, no footer, no sidebar, nothing at all. The only thing it asks the reader to do is sign up for X, sign up for my ebook on gardening, whatever it is. That's the only thing. They have to say yes or no to that question. They can exit out to say no, or they can sign up to say yes. Landing pages are really valuable, a, a really great way of getting people to sign up. You can create them using a tool like Lead Pages, which I'll link to in the show notes. Lead Pages comes with tons and tons and tons of templates that are highly tested, so they're all high converting. They look great. They're super easy to customize, so you can use your own font, your own colors, your own images, your own text, everything like that. Another option is Elementor, which is a WordPress plugin, so you can create the pages right, right on your site. I'll link to that too. Um, but landing pages are a great thing to have because you can promote them very easily um, on social media, in email, pretty much anywhere. All right. So keep your email list in mind. Your email list is something you should always be thinking about. It should always be growing. And even if you're starting off really small, that's fine. I started off at zero. So did every single other blogger out there. Start now. Now, number four, the last item I'm going to talk about here is consistency. Last but not least. This is one that I struggle with the most, and I know that a lot of other people struggle with it too. I have a free Facebook group, the Blog Biz Network, and as one of the membership questions that I ask when people sign up is, what is your biggest blogging struggle or something like that? And more people say consistency than any other one issue. A, A huge number of people say it. So believe me, I feel your pain. It is really hard to be consistent with this stuff because we all have lives. We have jobs, we have kids, we have this, we have that. It's hard to say every single Thursday I'm going to publish a blog post and every single Tuesday I'm going to publish a newsletter. It's hard, but it is worthwhile to really try. So how often should you be posting? I would aim for one blog post per week. If you can't swing that, then one every other week. Google likes sites that are updated a lot. You're going to be adding more traffic the more posts you add, as long as they're SEO optimized, as we already talked about. So one a week is ideal. If you can't do that, then one every other week. Now, of course, life is going to get in the way and there's going to be a month where you can't post. It's fine. No one's going to come and lock you up in jail. But once per week or once every other week is good to shoot for. It's also important to do this on social media networks like Instagram. I aim to post one grid post or reel every day, although there are still days when I don't, so don't check my grid and expect to see 100% compliance with that, but I try. I also try to post as many stories as I can, and it has paid off for me a lot. My follower number has grown quite a bit. Instagram likes consistency the same as Google does. I can't speak for every other social media platform because I haven't really tried it that specifically, but I know that Instagram likes consistency. So if you are on Instagram, which I recommend that you should be, try to post. If you can't do it every day, then aim for three times a week or twice a week or whatever, but do it consistently. The other place to try and be consistent is with your email list. Now, I know people that never email their list ever, and I know people who email their list every single day, sometimes multiple times a day. Most people are somewhere in the middle, and I am somewhere in the middle. I think a good aim is to email your new, your newsletter once a week. Same thing with a blog post. Stuff is going to get in the way. It's going to happen. It's fine. But shoot for once a week. Because if people know that every Thursday at 3 o'clock or whatever, that's when your newsletter comes, they're going to start to look out for it, assuming that it's valuable. 
and they're going to read it. Your open rates are going to go up. They're going to be clicking more of your links, which are going to be affiliate links or links to your products, whatever it is. So it's a really good idea to have a certain day and time when you always send your newsletter. And if you have the bandwidth to do it more than once a week, absolutely do that. I'm talking about minimums, but if you have two great emails to send this week, send two. Nothing wrong with that at all. Like I said, I am on several email lists where they email literally every single day. And I assume that people don't mind it because otherwise they wouldn't do it. So I don't do that, but apparently it's working for some people. Okay, guys, so those are my four items that are going to give you the biggest ROI on your blog. I hope that this was really helpful. I would love to hear how it's working for you. So shoot me a DM on Instagram. I'm uh, Becca Kleinco, B-E-C-C-A-K-L-E-I-N-C-O. And I've mentioned the show notes in this episode a few times. You can find those at beccaklein.co slash 001. You'll find a timestamp summary of what we've talked about, plus all the links I mentioned. That's B-E-C-C-A-K-L-E-I-N dot C-O slash 001. So I'm Becca Klein. This has been episode one of the Blog to Biz Show, and I will see you next week, same time, same place. Bye.